Welcome back to The Planet Today with Matt Norton. Today is Friday, August 20th, 2021. I'm your host, Matt Norton, riding solo in the studio as our producer and co-host Nick Janusa is enjoying a well-deserved vacation. If you're new here, welcome to The Planet Today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy, all in an easily digestible weekly podcast for you to listen to on your own time. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental. Whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics, TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. Because Nick is enjoying a well-deserved week off, there will be no quick hits this week. We will make it up to you next week with some additional highlights that happen both this week and next. And with that, we're going to dive right into my interview with Tyler Smith. Today on the planet today, I'm joined by Tyler Smith. I met Tyler back in 2014 at the Wildwood Beach Ultimate Tournament in Wildwood, New Jersey, and we remained friends and teammates throughout college after that. Tyler's now a wildland firefighter, so we figured he would be an awesome person to talk to about a topic that we've spoken about many times in many of our episodes this summer, wildfires. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me on here, and I'm excited to to talk about some wildfire stuff. Yeah, we figured you'd be a really good resource because, you know, we hear about it all the time in the news and a lot of our listenership is located in New York where I'm from and Delaware where you and I both went to college. So we don't really see the day-to-day effects of it as much up until recently where smoke had drifted out to the East Coast, but we'll definitely get into that. Um, but, you know, just to start things off, we see your day-to-day as a headline. So we wanted to kind of get that perspective from you who's actually seeing it, working through it, and living it. Yeah, so I am a senior Helitech crew member on Northern Colorado Helitech. And I guess to just to break that down um, in its most basic form, um, Helitech is, um, is a subset of wildland firefighting. It's a, a, it's a type of crew. Um, so our crew of 12, um, we are aerially delivered firefighters. So we, the government has a contract with uh, a private company and we, um, with this, this aircraft, which is a, an A-star AS350B3E, um, help fight wildfires, uh, across Colorado and uh, and all over the West. That sounds so cool. And I don't know enough about your aircraft, but anytime you throw a bunch of letters and numbers in there, it just, it sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, so the, uh, the A star is, um, is our machine and it's specifically that, um, because it's, um, well, first of all, it's a, it's a French company that manufactures it and it's designed to perform incredibly well at elevation. So obviously our base is at about 5,200 feet above sea level and our forests, um, you know, it has 14,000 foot peaks within it. So, um, we need to be able to respond to fires up until tree line, which isn't that high, but um, we also help with search and rescue operations. So yeah, that performance is, is absolutely necessary. So what is your day to day for work actually look like? Yeah. So our base is in Broomfield, Colorado, and we share a government facility with the Jeffco tanker base, um, where they load and, uh, and marshal in, um, 
air tankers, those, those large planes that you see uh, dropping retarded on fires. And so when I go into base, uh, get in there in the morning and we'll typically do about an hour and a half to two hours of PT. And then following that, we'll have a two hour briefing or sorry, an hour briefing um, where we'll go over what's called the situation report, which basically tells us the wildfire activity across the United States. Um, and then we'll go over the weather. We'll go over some of the fuel um, moisture data and the resource resources that are available to us within our region and within our dispatch zone. Um, and basically kind of get a game plan together uh, before loading up the aircraft and potentially engaging with wildfire. Sounds awesome. <laughs> so um, how, how often do you actually travel for work? I mean, I know that right now you're out on an assignment, but is this, is it something where you can kind of put a percentage on it? Like I travel for work half the week or what's it look like for you? Yeah. Um, so the past two years for our crew has been kind of a little non-standard, um, but typically in a, in a season, helicopter will come on contract. So this year was June 9th. And then virtually as soon as it comes on contract, um, we'll get what's called a resource order to mobilize out to either an emerging or ongoing incident. And so when we go out to those incidents, um, those assignments or roles, as they call them, last anywhere from 14 to 21 days. And then following the completion of that assignment, um, we get three days off, which is actually a, a new policy from two days off. So I actually have a day to just chum out, you know, on my couch for a day, but, um, that's a very quick turnaround and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep doing it, but it almost makes me feel bad about complaining about five day work weeks and then two days off. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, that's actually when I'm going to work, but it is wildfire season. So I am off for when it's not wildfire season. So that's the biggest weekend. So, you know, Three days off is fine. You know, I, I can take it for a little bit. Gotcha. That was actually a pretty good segue into a question I was going to ask you later. But um, I was going to ask, do you have an off season? And, and if so, what does the rest of the year outside of wildfire season actually look like for you? Um, so, yeah. So my um, appointment with the Forest Service is actually what's called a 13 and 13. So I work 13 pay periods on and then 13 pay periods off. So I came on this year. April 1st. Um, and then there's like a, a small extension to that, but my last day will be October 23rd this year. Um, and there's always an opportunity for me to extend through the fall and even into the winter, there's, um, fuels projects that are going on. So if they have prescribed burning or if the wildfire season extends, which it has been, and I assume will also this year. Um, but I like my 13 and 13, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I usually sign off, um, end of October and, um, past couple of years I've been getting into hunting. So I'll go back up to Montana and do a, a hunting trip with a couple of buddies, ski trips, you know, somewhere warm, tropical, just kind of, uh, total bumming out, but just spend some, spend some extra, extra time outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I saw earlier this week, actually before we recorded, that the U.S. Forest Service posted on Instagram and said over 80% of wildfires are caused by humans. 
does your work and your team's work look any different for human caused wildfires or is it all just sort of the same kind of operation? Yeah. So when we get a call from dispatch um, and I'll just talk for when we're on our home unit um, and there's a, a smoke report, we'll launch out to it um, regardless of its origin. Um, and from the air, we'll give a size above the fire and sometimes we can determine if it was natural or human cause, but pretty much regardless, um, our duty is just to respond and to, and to fully suppress that, that fire. So, um, with human caused wildfires, uh, the intent from my leadership, the forest leadership is just full suppression because it isn't natural to the landscape. Um, it wasn't pre-planned. Um, there might be different direction, um, if the specific unit it's on was either like an area where they wanted to do, wanted to do a prescribed burn or uh, needed healthy regeneration. Um, and it was like in some kind of environmental parameters where it allowed it to do so. But June, July, you know, all the way through October, uh, it's pretty much a full suppression kind of gig. Gotcha. And, and do you know, I guess some of the, most common causes of human caused wildfires? Like what should our listeners be on the lookout to make sure they're avoiding? Sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I know that we were talking about it a little bit, but human cause, I think a lot of people conjure up a picture in their minds of an escaped campfire or, you know, maybe a cigarette out your car's window, um, igniting, you know, some flashy grass or something like that, which is definitely true. I mean, these definitely make up a percentage of those human caused wildfires, but, um, you know, some of the incidents that we respond to have been trains going down the track and spitting out sparks, um, which can ignite wildfire for miles on an end without the train actually realizing um, what it's doing or the conductor realizing what it's doing. Um, vehicles driving down dirt roads um, and either a dragging chain and having sparks ignite. Um, I mean, even vehicles that have been running for a while in the heat and parked on grass is enough for uh, that radiant heat to start wildfire. So it's, it's a variety of, of causes. And, and, you know, I'm sure people have heard in the news, there's, there were those kids in the Columbia river gorge setting off fireworks in a extreme red flag warning day, um, igniting wildfire. And, and then of course, um, down in San Bernardino, the, gender reveal party uh, uh which actually ignited one of the the largest fires in california last year and unfortunately k- killing a, a wildland firefighter who was who was trying geez. to battle it weeks later yeah so um yeah serious repercussions and uh a lot of that you know with you were saying you know 80 percent um there's just such a high percentage of wildland urban interface out here in the west so it's again you know this is my limited um exposure this is just my fifth year in wildfire so from what at least i've gathered and what i know to be true is that it's just more people more people in the woods and um more people or at least a greater likelihood of people not adhering to 
some of the rules or at least um, the warnings set in place by forest officials, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure the last year and a half with COVID restrictions hasn't really helped because a lot of people who normally go to hotels and go to resorts, they are probably joining us in campgrounds and national parks and all those places that are outdoors where you could responsibly socially distance. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say not 100% of those new people were following every single rule and guidelines. So, you know, with, with everything that happened, it adds up. Seriously. And, and, you know, you, you kind of hit it on the head there. It's just, you know, people understandably are, you know, getting some cabin fever and they want to get outside. Um, and it's, you know, I'm an avid camper myself and there's nothing more, um, you know, quintessential than having a campfire, you know, when you're out in the woods. And so when people see the warning that, you know, there's no fires or for people that typically would go out and, you know, shoot firearms or something like that. And, uh, those warrant, those, um, restrictions come up, um, you know, it's easy just to say, Oh, whatever, you know, I I'm fine. I'm fine. And, uh, you know, a couple of the fires that I've responded to, you know, we see, um, the, the responding part or the, the party that called it in. And, uh, it's just, it's kind of like the same, you know, it's, it's the same story. It's like, I, I didn't think this would happen or. Yeah. It's, it's always going to be somebody else's fault. Right. 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 Yeah. I was like, I, I didn't actually take it seriously. Um, until, you know, it's, it's well out of control. Yeah. I mean, Hey, it's like, Smoky Bear always said for us uh, growing up and still today, only you can prevent wildfires. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I love Smokey, but the more I'm in the Forest Service, um, you know, Smokey is everywhere. So <laughs> maybe too much. So I, I even have uh, my little pocket planner where I put all my times down uh, throughout the day. Uh, it's he's he's on it, too. So um, he's he's watching, you know. Yeah, I have a T-shirt from Kohl's that I probably got for nine dollars back in middle school or high school, and it's got his face on it and his slogan. So I was indoctrinated at a young age. <laughs> well, you know, actually at my first um, guard station, which is actually just south of where I am here in Reno, Nevada, um, we used to put on these educational programs, the local campground. And because it was my first year, or I can only assume because it was my first year, we actually had a, a smoky suit. And so I had to put that on. And you can only imagine <laughs> a, a bear suit, bear costume in July, nine degrees. And uh, yeah, it was painful, but I guess that was my initiation. Yeah, a little, little rookie hazing. <laughs> and I bet you have that one guy who was like, hey, Tyler, at least it's not too humid today. It's just dry heat, as if that's going to make a difference while you're in a bear costume. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm well over that. You know what? Yeah, it's a dry heat, but guess what? 99 degrees is still 99 degrees. Yeah. Hey, well, I guess uh, next time you're out doing that, it's somebody else's job now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, switching gears to something a little less positive than our smoky story. Uh, wildfires have kind of consumed the news cycle this summer. And I was curious in your experience and, you know, your, your team's experience, has this wildfire season felt any worse to you than previous ones? Or is this just kind of the trajectory we're heading on? Well, you know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because um, I was just talking about this exact same thing. Um, I'm out here um, in a training, uh, training role. Um, and my trainer is uh, one of our superintendents for our program back in Broomfield. And he's been fighting wildfire for 
27 years. He started his career in 1994, the year I was born. He just has an incredible wealth of knowledge and experience. Um, and he, he's, he's seen it all. So, um, anyway, we were talking about this season and I asked him again, because it's only my fifth year, are these as unprecedented seasons as I interpret them? Um, especially because I think for a lot of people in our generation, it seems like every year is unprecedented. And I don't want to overuse that word, but it's, you know, pandemics, massive wildfire seasons, um, you know, just the news seems overwhelming. And so, um, and so he was saying, yeah, it, it is. Um, these wildfire seasons have been extreme and, um, and never before seen. I mean, it used to be that maybe every decade there would be a season where it would really rip off. Um, but never like this where it's season after season. Um, and some of the activity that you see now where it's burning down entire towns, entire communities, uh, fire making runs that are literally measured in miles per hour. Um, or at least, you know, waking up and reading that situation report and, and seeing that a single fire burned 80,000 acres in a day, you know, for us, we just kind of go, damn, that's crazy. Um, but that same information 15 years ago would be jaw dropping. Um, and it's kind of unsettling that we've just become so used to it. Yeah. And, you know, with, with climate change every year for the past five years has been the hottest year on record and everything is getting drier and you are firsthand seeing the impacts of that in a way that me reading the news or the listeners of this podcast, we're not going to see that the way that you're actually experiencing it. Yeah. I mean, the West went into extreme drought conditions incredibly early into the season, um, which was predicted actually, um, in the fall and, you know, at, at least in Colorado living there firsthand, we didn't get the snowpack that we typically do. It's just no surprise. Um, the, the correlation there between climate change, increasing temperatures, um, increasing averages, decreasing precipitation levels, um, average rainfall, and then fire seasons that look like this. Um, yeah, the, it, it, most certainly goes hand in hand. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, hurricanes and wildfires seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of one is hot, dry and fiery. And the other one is wet, windy and rainy. But it's kind of interesting how on the West Coast you're seeing a much more destructive wildfire season that lasts longer and starts earlier. And on the East Coast, we're seeing a much more destructive hurricane season that starts earlier and lasts longer. So you know, two sides of the same coin almost. Yeah. And, um, like I was talking about that, that wildland urban interface, it's, it's just so much more poignant to, to the people that live out here. Um, you know, what an effect it has in their lives, um, and, and their homes, unfortunately, you know? So a lot of the, the, the phrase that we, we throw around a lot and, um, as, as part of our education and, and I, I feel like, you know, our duty is, is living with wildfire or life with wildfire, um, where we're trying to steer the conversation towards, or the conversation and the understanding that wildfire 
is a healthy thing for the forest and for the ecosystem. Um, but it's hard to manage it in a controlled um, environment in a controlled space when you have seasons like this going on where it seems like we're just playing catch up. So when you're saying that wildfires are healthy, I'm sure we have some of our listeners who aren't, you know, as, as in the know about what that can do for a forest and its soil. So it doesn't have to be crazy scientific, but what does a wildfire generally do for a healthy forest? You know, a prescribed fire, we'll say. Sure. Um, so this is actually, you know, I love fighting fire. I love going gung-ho and being all tactical and whatnot. But fire in the ecosystem is, I think, the most interesting thing um, about living out west. And so to draw the comparison to the east coast, um, like you have deciduous forests that shed their leaves uh, every fall. Winter comes around, right? And because of the moist environment that they live in, um, they decompose. Um, at, a, at a fairly steady rate. And so that's how the understory is clear so that um, organisms can thrive, the soils remain healthy and whatnot. Um, out west, um, it receive, we receive a lot less precipitation. And so to clear that understory in our forests, fire needs to come through. And again, in certain environments, it's not all across the west, but fire in most places needs to come through and clear that understory out um, so that species can thrive. The trees remain healthy. The stand health is, uh, is positive. Um, animals that are native to the area can thrive. Um, but with a history of full suppression tactics on wildfire, um, that understory has built up and become unnatural. And so when fire does make it through there in an unplanned event, um, either human caused or natural, it, the behavior tends to become explosive, um, and, and far more extreme than it needs to. But, um, I guess getting back into the, the science of it, you know, um, there are actually some tree species out here that need fire to reproduce, um, the ponderosa pine and lodgepole pine, their cones um, are actually activated in a certain temperature range. And that temperature range is, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's, it's something like, you know, 140 to 180 degrees or something like that, which is essentially the heat that would come off of a creeping ground fire underneath them. So um, Got it. they are evolved to, to literally live with fire underneath them. So, um, yeah, when people think of like fire as being just a wholly destructive matter, um, it actually, it couldn't be further from the truth, um, that these forests actually needed to, in, in some cases survive. That's, that's super interesting. And I, I, I didn't know about that. Um, you know, I, this is a, a bit of a dorky reference, but I think it's going to hit. That kind of reminds me of Avatar, the last airbender, where we think of the fire nation as the people that started the war. But in reality, they're just their own people with their own culture and fire can be beautiful and bring life. So it's super interesting. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, again, through the news have, I'm sure maybe heard that, that article or that story that came out about, um, you know, Native Americans and their relationship with fire and how they've been practicing prescribed fire for some time um, to, again, do that exact same thing in a controlled manner. They've, you know, 
burning, burning either cropland or, um, you know, clearing out debris to allow for, uh, you know, regrowth and regeneration. It's so interesting. And it's, you're right. It's something that we, we don't really consider until it's brought up, whether it's in an article or, or listening to you talk about it. It's, it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. You can build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.com and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's valaalta.com and code TPT. So um, you mentioned drought earlier, and I was just curious if water shortages ever have an impact on your job, aside from the obvious, you know, there's more wildfires in a, in a drought. Um, with the flame retardants and the water that you're using to put out certain fires, is that ever impacted by drought or is drinking water kind of a separate issue? Yeah, it's kind of a separate issue. And, and you know, as far as drought goes, you know, that's like drought amongst like the land mass of the West. Um, so for our operation, at least like when we're fighting fire, um, our helicopters, it, it has, is equipped with, um, three buckets for water delivery. And then, um, the, uh, the helicopter that I'm managing right now, it's a, um, it's a CH 47 D Chinook, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. It's the, the hot dog helicopter with, two rotor systems, um, that has an internal tank to drop to, uh, to suck up and drop water. So when those two aircraft, you know, when they're in the vicinity of, um, a wildfire, it's out here, it's pretty easy to find, um, you know, a river, a stream, pond, lake, uh, to dip out of. And even like a, a, a city reservoir or even a personal reservoir, there are a lot of landowners that are, um, more than happy to to share that resource um, with us while we're fighting wildfire because it's obviously mutually beneficial. But yeah, yeah. finding water sources <laughs> hasn't become an, an issue really, um, even with drought or the drought conditions that we're in right now. Got it. A um, couple more questions for you. Hopefully, these are these are some fun ones. Have you ever had any close calls on the job where you've kind of had to take a step back after and been like, "Damn, that was not safe." <laughs> um, Fortunately, no. Um, I work with um, an incredibly skilled group of people, and and I mean that in the the scope of like the entire wildland firefighting community. Um, we have so many practices and policies, and just crew standard operating procedures in place um, before we even think about engaging in wildfire. That I've never ever been in a situation where I felt unsafe. Uh, I've felt tons of adrenaline at times, but, uh, never, um, a situation where it's kind of been like, Whoa, I don't think I should be here or, you know, <laughs> that really sinking gut feeling. 
fortunately. Yeah, that's kind of the best case scenario for uh, the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, right. That actually leads me perfectly into the next question. What would you say is the coolest or most impressive story that you have as, you know, a wild land firefighter? You know, I, this question is so hard for me to answer because I feel kind of lame and that I don't really, I, I've never had like a, a preset answer to this. Um, they're just every fire that I fought has been so unique um, and so different and brought its own challenges um, and excitement to it. Um, I have to say uh, this uh, was a couple of years ago, three years ago. Now we were uh, fighting a fire in Colorado, massive blow up. Just this, this flame front was the most impressive I've actually seen to date. Um, but it was just chewing through the forest. It was, had to have been at least, at least two miles wide, I'd say. And we were setting up this sprinkler system around a radio tower as like a, a means of like point protection. Um, but just being up there on the top of this mountain, setting up the system and looking at this flaming front coming towards us, um, with the, the smoke column that it was putting up. I guess that's kind of, you know, it's not scary, but cool in the sense that I would have never been in that situation or had that experience unless I was doing this job. So it was just so brand new. Not amazing in the sense of, wow, this is incredible. I'm so happy this is happening, but just I'm genuinely amazed at what I'm looking at. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's like everyone else like every other human besides our group of 10 up there had been evacuated, but, you know, so it just felt like it was, you know, I, I hate to be this corny, but you know, me, me and the beast, me and, uh, <laughs> me and fire, you know, like it, it was, uh, it was pretty remarkable. So we close out every interview with three rapid fire questions. Uh, hopefully these are, these are some fun ones. First up, what is your favorite animal? Okay, so that changes a lot, but right now it's the Emperor Tamarin. Awesome. And what is something you do to try to be more sustainable in your own life? Uh, I'm a huge foodie, um, and so uh, as much as possible, I try to do French shopping. So only the ingredients that I need when I'm when I'm making meals, um, and with that, just kind of you know all the typical crunchy stuff, reusable bags, metal straws, uh, we compost at our house and, um, and trying to, to buy local. Awesome. And then last one, what is one environmental topic you think everyone should be more aware of after hearing from you today? So we talked about a little bit. Um, I really hope that after listening to this podcast, um, people see fire in uh, a positive light. Um, I know that, news and the fire activity that we see right now seems just devastating and destructive, which it is. And I don't want to take away from that because um, I'm sure a lot of people have negative experiences with it, but I want to enunciate that fire in the landscape can be healthy. And, um, and I hope that one day we, we br- we're at a point where um, we're bringing it back in such a controlled way that we don't have seasons like this anymore. Well said. So before we let you go, if people want to keep up with what you or your team is doing, is there anywhere that they can do that? Heck yeah, they can uh, they can follow. We have a crew Instagram page. It's noco, N-O-C-O, 
Helitac, H-E-L-I-T-A-C-K. Uh, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, so you can follow us. You can see our aircraft. You can see what I'm managing right now, the Chinook, um, and uh, and kind of keep up where we are in the country. Awesome. We will tag that account when uh, we post this this episode. That way, people can check you out there. Sweet. Well, cool. appreciate you having me on, man, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great talking with you and hearing about what you're up to. And uh, you have an open invite whenever you want to come back and be our official wildfire correspondent. (laughs) Sounds good, homie. Thanks. Thanks. And that'll do it for this week's episode of The Planet Today. Next week, Nick and I will be back in the studio for our last episode of August. Until that episode drops, you can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at planettodaypod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. We'd also really appreciate it if you could share the show with a friend, tell someone you think who would like it, or share our posts on your social media pages. Really, really helps. Aside from that, if you have any questions you want answered, you can send them in. If you see a story you want us to cover, you can send that too. If you have a guest you'd like for us to have on, let us know and we will reach out to them. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen on something else like Google or Spotify. The reviews on Apple help our show the most. If you don't feel like the show is worth five stars, that is okay too, but let us know by giving us a five-star rating. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norden. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. We are produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every single show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and you know how to spell it. I know you do. Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace! Peace!